Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. See everyone in the house today. Praise God. Uh, good worship. I love... Um, the Christmas songs. Uh, Christmas is like, my, it's always been my favorite holiday. Um, of course, as a kid, you like the gifts <laughs> and everything. Uh, but I, I've always just loved the Christmas season, the, the whole pageantry with it and everything. I know some people feel like it gets too commercialized, which, which it is. But um, some of the songs that um, you know, Lady Courtney sung today, um, honestly, I feel like some of the most powerful songs really are Christmas songs of that, the worship behind it, if you really think of the words behind it and, um, you know, what it meant, you know, just the miracle and just the, just the crazy concept that God would think to come into the world and save it that way through a man, you know? Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's always, a yeah, it's just a time that I really like and kind of like goes into the message and what I'm going to be preaching on today. It's going to be a Christmas message. Um, Maybe a little different than you've heard before, a different type of Christmas message, um, but uh, I think that you, hopefully you'll go with me uh, on this and it encourages you and blesses you. Um, first of all, I just want to definitely give honor to our pastor, Pastor Dwayne. Uh, he was here earlier, but I know he has a, a, another uh, assignment uh, today, and um, so it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to come before you guys and uh, share the word. Um, when we talk about Christmas, um, I would say maybe in the past 10 or so years, I've kind of um, started like observing Advent. And it's not something that has been in my, in my faith tradition that I raised up and maybe not a lot of you guys have done, but I, I think it's a, powerful, um, it's a powerful practice in a sense where you kind of look at it, it, it takes the 30 days leading up to Christmas and it's a time of reflection. It's, it's a time where we look at the parallels between the first century Jews and where they were waiting for the savior to come anticipation and kind of parallels that with where we are. And where we are now is we're in a time where we are waiting for the second coming of him. So we're, there is some parallels that we're both waiting for this Messiah in a sense. There was the first time in us for his return. And there's also themes of, of hope. And we're still, and we're always constantly hoping. That's something that we're always going to have. It's waiting in faith, which obviously we're waiting in faith for Christ, but we're also waiting in faith just in our daily lives, you know, for things that we're believing for. Um, and it's also a time of expectation. And then we just meditate and think on those things of expectation. And so those are some themes that I, that I um, especially expectation that I want to talk about today. And really, uh, examine the question that what ha when you have an expectation, what happens when the unexpected happens? What happens when the unexpected happens? And how do you respond to the unexpected? Now, that unexpected could be sometimes, as, as we'll see, especially when we look at the Christmas story, is that God shows up in an unexpected way. Maybe he, he um, answers your prayer or, or, or he says something that's unexpected, or many times just life comes with unexpected things. So we're gonna examine uh, that today um, in light of the Christmas story, all right? Sound good? All right. So first I wanna add some context because I wanna go back and really set the scene for what was going on um, in Jerusalem at that time 
before Christ's birth leading up to that. So for us to get an understanding, the historical context. So the more we understand the context of what's going on, the more we can understand of what the Bible is saying and what God is trying to illustrate to us. So leading up to uh, that time, the, there was 400 years since Mal- Malachi. If you look at it in your Bible, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. That was the last prophet to speak. So from the time Malachi prophesied and brought forth the word, Till this time leading up to Christ, there's four, there's a 400 year period, roughly a 400 year period where God is silent. God has not spoken to his people. Now, historically, how God in in the Old Testament spoke to his people, it was through men. He would bring, he would have a prophet. I mean, even going back to Adam, you know, Adam, he spoke to Adam and Adam shared his word with, with Eve to, to Noah, to, um, Abraham, to Moses, and then um, all the prophets, that's how God spoke directionally to his people. They, they, they brought correction and they brought direction through prophets. So that's how God spoke to his people. Now, for 400 years, there's no direction from God, no spoken word, no prophetic word coming forth. And so also during these four, now that doesn't mean that God retreated from his people. That doesn't mean that God was not at work still. And that doesn't mean that possibly God wasn't speaking to individuals in some way, but speaking to the nation, speaking directionally, bringing a thus say of the Lord did not happen. And so there, there's a 400 year period where there's, there's a silence. And, and so there, they, they, there's, if you think about that, 400 years is a long time. And so there's generations and generations who've lived full lives and have never heard a prophetic word. Generation after generation after generation has not heard a word from God. And so there's a hunger for the word of God. And then there's also what's going on during this period is um, it's not just like everything's chill, like there's constant wars and battles. And so the people of Jerusalem are not a sovereign nation. Okay. They are, they have been ruled by over this 400 year period. There's four different empires that have ruled them. It was during when it all started, it was the Persians ruling them. And then the Greeks took over and after that Syrians. And then finally, as we get up to this period of crisis, the Roman empire. So these are, they're people who are living in occupied land. They cannot practice freely. And in many ways they're oppressed. So not only have they not heard from God, but they're constantly being passed on from empire to empire to empire, being ruled and not being able to live freely and worship freely how they want to. And so what they're doing is they, 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 all they have is the prophets of old, the, the past prophecies, nothing that was said fresh in the day, but the word, of God, the word of God and the past prophets that they have to hold on to and hope of deliverance uh, um, and hope of deliverance from their current state to be able to worship God freely. Amen. So I want to just go to, through a, a couple of uh, scriptures that um, the people in, in, in this time were probably holding on to. So if, you're, if uh, you have your Bibles... Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 40. And so there's many scriptures about the Messiah, many scriptures about um, in the Old Testament that, that, um, that, uh, that are prophetic about um, the return of Christ and, and return, I mean, excuse me, about uh, the coming of the Messiah and about deliverance, um, you know, for the, the people of Jerusalem. Um, but Isaiah has a lot of them. I'm just going to go over a couple of them. And these are some scriptures that the people of this time were probably holding on to that were passed down. And even though there was this, this silent time for 400 years, they were holding on to scriptures like uh, Isaiah 40. Uh, and you could go with me to verse 10, 10 and 11. It says, behold, the Lord God will come with might with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. 
he will greatly lead in his nursing ooze. All right, so this is about deliverance. So they're, they're believing for the deliverance um, from the captivity they're in, that from the rule from uh, these different empires. Go over to uh, chapter 41. We're also going to go to verse 10 in chapter 41. And it says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. So that's good news to them because they're, like I said, they're being, they're being ruled by these other nations. So to them, this is a promise from God that they're looking forward to. But the problem is they weren't delivered from the Persians. They weren't delivered from the, the Greeks. They weren't delivered from the Syrians. They were still being um, uh, uh, occupied. And so they're holding on and saying, when, God, when are you going to come? 42, uh, chapter 42. Isaiah 42, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And it says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, will the, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands and expectantly his law. And so now God is not saying, not only saying, look, I'm going to deliver you. Now he's saying how. He says, through my servant, who is the Messiah. So they're anticipating this. They're looking forward. They have this expectancy of this Messiah is going to come. He's going to deliver us and free us. And so what, but how they, how they envisioned it wasn't exactly how it happened. All right. Sometimes you have to expect the unexpected. I'm going to need some call and response. So say, expect the unexpected. unexpected. Say it again. Expect the unexpected. And so the other thing that I just want to know is even though over these 400 years, there's a lot going on, like in the natural wars and all these things. And this just shows, and we know this, if you walk with God long enough, when things are going on and it seems like God is silent and, and, and things in the natural look adverse to your situation, God is actually working behind the scenes. He's doing things, right? Even stuff that's going to pay off way in the future. So the interesting thing about uh, like I said, one of the time, one of the nations that ruled them was the Greeks, right? And so the interesting thing about what the Greeks did is what they created a common language throughout the whole region. So everybody had to learn Greek. So what? Is the, so what's the benefit of that? Well, years later, years later, when it when when Christ had risen and he had commissioned his disciples to go out, and not just in Jerusalem, but they had to go all over the world, right? but everybody spoke the same language. So there was no language barrier to communicate the gospel everywhere they went. And so God used that, used that to the benefit to bring himself glory. And we know the Roman empire at the time was also ruling. And what the Romans did is they built infrastructure and they built roads. So it made it easier to travel from town to town to spread the gospel. So everything that was happening at that time, though Israel was like, why is this happening? Why are we ruled? But God was using it. He was using these wicked empires to build things, structures and infrastructures throughout the world that he would use to glorify God and spread the gospel. Amen. Amen. All right. Turn with me to Malachi. Now, this is like I said, this is uh, the last prophet of uh, the Old Testament. And this is essentially the last word that um, they received. Um, before this 400 years of uh, silence and go to but actually just the last 
two verses of the Old Testament. It's easy to find. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And so the last thing that they heard, uh, along with all the things, the prophecies from Isaiah and, and others that they're holding on to, they're, la- they're holding on to this last thing that God said in verses 5 and 6 in, in uh, Malachi uh, 4. And it says, Behold, I am going to send Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will come and smite the land with a curse. And so right now, so what what it's saying is before the day of the Lord, before the Lord comes, I'm going to send Elijah. So what they're doing, so right now, what is their expectation? Their expectation is that we're going to have there's going to be, uh, we're going to be delivered. It's going to be a Messiah who's going to come. And before that, it's going to be Elijah. So they're thinking Elijah is going to resurrect, come back. And so they're looking for the return of Elijah as the forerunner. And they're looking for a king. They're expecting a king to come and overthrow the Romans. They think he's going to come, head's going to roll. We're going to be good, you know, but that's not exactly what happened because the thing is God does give us what we want, but there's also what he's more in focus on is our needs. And so what they needed to be free from was less about being free from these empires, but being free from their sins and everything that was happening inside them in their hearts. Amen. Amen. All right. So say we need to expect the unexpected. unexpected. And so there's like I said, they they had this this vision, this expectation of of how this deliverance was going to come. But what we see throughout Scripture and and one thing that we you're going to learn, uh, you learn about God through your life, you learn about God in the Scripture is that he does things differently. He does. He doesn't always do things the same way. He doesn't always do things the way we expect. We see throughout Scripture that God constantly chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. If we, you look throughout the Old Testament, uh, in, in those days, it was, it was um, a clear order that the, the oldest son would get the inheritance and the oldest son would be the ruler. But constantly, three, constantly throughout Scripture, you see God actually favors the younger son, the younger child. He, he, favored, Ish, he, he favored Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, and David over his older brothers, right? And so he, he's, he's always constantly taking these, tradition, these traditions and just kind of flipping them and, and, and keeping us on our toes, right? And keeping the people of God on their toes. We even look at Abraham and Sarah. You know, if it, if it was me and you're like, okay, we're going to start a new nation because that's what God did with Abraham. He said, I'm going to start a new nation, a new people. Well, let's start it with some young people who could start a family, have a bunch of kids and stuff. He said, no, give me a couple 90-year-olds. Give me Abraham and Sarah. And he started a nation through some 90-year-old people who were barren. Breaks tradition. And so one thing that, see, God is, his character, the character of God and the faithfulness faithfulness of God is very predictable. He's very predictable. He's going to, he's going to, He's going to live by his word. He's going to follow up his word, his character, his holiness, and all those things. That's very predictable. But how he fulfills those promises and what he does, all bets are off. You don't know how he's going to do it. That's why it's called faith. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And so, so what problems or, 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 or what, I don't say problems, but what that presents to us and is it, creates, it presents a certain tension. And, and this is kind of in the story. It's illustrated in the story of Christmas, but also throughout, um, throughout Scripture in our lives is that we think that we know what should be going on or, or what we expect, how God's going to move or how we want things to come to pass. But we're often surprised. We get surprises. And sometimes, sometimes the surprises can feel like disappointment. Has anybody had any disappointments in 2023? Okay. Yeah. My hand is up. 
All right. Has there any been just even throughout your life? Have you experienced some disappointments? All right. Let me dig a little deeper. Do you feel sometimes that your life is not what you expected it to be or that you're not where you should supposed to be in life? I feel that way sometimes. All right. But here's the thing about God. God, some with God, disappointments is disappointments are just ways um, or I'm going to put this way. Disappointments and, and surprises and especially disappointments are opportunities. God uses them as opportunities to do a new thing. Yes. Yes. Someone say he's doing a new thing. God is not surprised by these these things that happen in your life. He, he's not surprised by it. It's just going to look. He's going to work it out. And he's going to do a new thing. It might not be how we expected, but it's going to be a do, do a new thing. And the new thing, the new thing, because when God does it, it's going to be better. It's going to be better than what we expected. Amen. Amen. So let's go back in, in this Christmas story and look at different ways that, um, you know, God can, God represented doing a new thing and that he was breaking tradition, breaking the, the tradition that man was uh, used to. OK, so first of all. The biggest thing is like obvious, a virgin gave birth. That does not happen. Hasn't happened since, hasn't happened before, right? So, so that was just something obviously in the natural breaking tradition. The other thing is just the concept, the idea of God becoming a man, that was blasphemous. That was blasphemous to those people. They were like, wait, what? And when, when you know, many times when Jesus, you know, said things, they were like tearing their clothes, like this is blasphemy. So it, everything he was doing uh, in this story, in this concept was um, breaking tradition. Even small things, you don't have to turn here, but if you're taking notes, uh, you could put this down. In um, Luke 1, 59 through 61, um, even the birth of John the Baptist in many ways broke tradition in, in, in small ways. One, the couple was older, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Again, they were barren and they were up, up in age. And so even for them to, to, to have a child kind of was just went against the, the natural order of things. But also um, the name John, like God told them to, to name him John. And so when Elizabeth said, oh, yeah, his name is John, they were like, where, where you get that name? No one in your family is named John. Like, what is wrong with you? The tradition was to name it after the father or someone in the family. There was no John in, in, in their lineage. But again, just a small thing. But God just doing little things that are just breaking the norm to, to, to for us to see what is unexpected can arise. Another thing is um, in Luke 2, 7 through 16. Again, you don't have to turn there, but you can take notes is the shepherds, the first people to um, Encounter so obviously Jesus. I mean Mary had Jesus had the baby in the manger, and the first people aside from Joseph and Mary and whoever might have been there in the manger to know that the Messiah was born were some shepherds in a field. Now, if the Messiah was coming onto the scene, this this ruler, this king that everybody was looking through, surely the first people to visit him would be the chief priest, would be the Pharisees, right? No, God chose some random shepherds who were in the middle of the night looking after some dirty sheep, <coughs> breaking tradition. Amen. Amen. Let's look at let's look at another one. Turn to Matthew two for me, chapter two. And when you get there, you say Amen. Amen. Uh, child, I didn't even tell you the verse. Uh, cha- uh, chapter two, verse one. We're gonna start at verse one. All right. And so. This is, um, there's two accounts of this Christmas story, like the birth and everything in in the Gospels. One is in Matthew and the other is in Luke, and we're going to look at both of them. And Matthew, you'll see uh, mentions, he focuses on uh, Joseph, 
Um, and and he mentions the the wise men or the magi, and Luke focuses on Mary, and he mentions and mentions the shepherds, which I had referenced to, and we'll get to that again later. So I'm going to start in uh, Matthew two verse one through five. Now Jesus, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Say all of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people and people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him in Bethlehem and Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. All right. So we're going to stop there and um, and pick it. Well. Yeah, and we'll go down to verse 10, and it says, when they saw the star, and this is after they left them and um, Herod, and they said, when they went to go look for Jesus, and said, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, with his mother, and they fell to the ground, worship him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts <clears throat> of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So this is another way they broke tradition, because these magi, these were Gentiles. These weren't Jews. Okay, so these were people, and even um, there's some b- debate, but some say they were astrologers, some say they were Persian priests, some say they were magicians, but whatever whatever they were, we know they weren't covenant people, okay? So how, uh, before, and then as, as they go to Herod, Herod, who actually was a Jew, and he got all the chief priests and all the scribes, right, all these people, they had no idea Jesus was born. And this is, this is either weeks, months, or even possibly a couple years after Jesus was born, because they didn't go see Jesus in the manger, they went to see him in the house. So this was some time after the shepherds had visited. So Jesus has been around for at most two years, but at least um, a a few months, right? And so the people who we would think know the signs and know that the Messiah is here, the scribes and the chief priests, they don't even know. There's these Gentiles that have come and say, oh, the, the king of the Jews is here. Again, God breaking tradition beyond what we would expect and what the people of the day would expect. Now, there's something powerful about these two groups, though. You know, when God mentioned these things and how he does this, there, there, there's, always, there's always like a deeper meaning. So we see that the first, some of the first people to ever see the, the, the new Messiah were shepherds, Jewish shepherds, and Gentile magi. Okay? And so when we think about what Jesus' purpose was to do, right? What did he came to do? What did he say? He, when he came, he said, I'm making the first last and the last first. So the first we would think would be the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests, but they didn't, they didn't even recognize them. Who would be last? These shepherds who are in the lower level society and some, in some um, respects considered unclean, blue collar workers working in the field, not these educated people who know the scripture, who study and everything. No, I'm going to take, make the last and I'm going to make them first. So even as a child, he was doing that work, drawing unto himself the last first. And then he also, another, we know another purpose is that he brought, he reconciled, brought into his fold the Gentiles, not just the Jews. And so who's the other group to visit him? Gentiles, magi from the East. So God was already just giving us a representation of what the church and what he was going to do would look like. Even as a child, he wasn't even two years old and he was drawing these people, these different groups that would make up his church, the body of Christ already, even as a child doing a new thing. Amen. And so, like I said earlier, God's character is very predictable, but how he moves can be unexpected. And when we Walk with God, and as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that because we know the Spirit, the Bible says the Spirit is like a wind. 
It's like a wind. It's, it's, it, there, he, he, he speaks to us and we have to hear from him every day because he moves and you have to move with him, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a book called The Wild Goose Chase and it's about the Holy Spirit because there were some ancient Christians who used to call the, the, the Holy Spirit the wild goose. And it almost seems like sacrilegious, but if you know, it's like a wild goose, like that thing runs around and it's hard to follow. But that's sometimes how the Holy Spirit is. Someday you're going to move this way and then someday he might tell you to go the other way. And you have to listen intently, listen intently to what he's doing because it's going to be unexpected. So here's an example. We look back at Moses in the Old Testament, right? One time, God had him bring water out of a rock by striking the rock. The next time, he didn't tell him to strike the rock. What did he say? He said, speak to it. Moses disobeyed, but what's the point? It's like, even though the situation looks similar, it might not be the same way you're supposed to respond to it. You have to listen to the Spirit of God. Because what he might say may be unexpected. And that's what walking the spirit is, is like you have to, sometimes he comes, sometimes he speaks in different ways. Sometimes he spoke in a whirlwind. Sometimes he spoke in a stillness. He doesn't always do the same way. His character is predictable, but many times his ways can be unexpected. And we have to be open to that in that walk of faith. Amen. Okay. That was my introduction. So let's get to um, the core of what, uh, <laughs> what I want to say. I'm not going to be before you long, but that's just the introduction. So. Now we're going to look at how do we respond? How do we respond to the unexpected? We see how, how um, the people in that day did many times, the leaders and the Pharisees. But how are we to respond when uh, we experience the unexpected? And so a good way within the Christmas story to find that is to look at some of the key characters in this Christmas story and how they ex- responded to the unexpected. So let's start with Joseph. Turn with me to Matthew 1. Matthew 1, uh, we're going to start at verse um, 18. Now, as you turn there, if anybody experienced a surprise, if anybody experienced anything unexpected, it was Joseph. Come on now, fellas, guys, your fiance comes to you. And she says she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That is unexpected, right? So if anybody in the history of humanity had a surprise, it was Joseph, right? And we don't, I think we don't give Joseph enough credit. I don't, I don't, you don't hear a lot preached about Joseph, but Joseph was a man of God. Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph was a man of faith. Joseph was very honorable. And, um, and then we're going to kind of dig in, in, into that a little bit. So Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When I'm, and I'm sorry, just let you guys, I read out the NASB. So it might be a little bit different than we have the ESV on the screen. I, I tend to like read out the NASB. So now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, meaning before they had relations, she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, see, Joseph was righteous, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So Joseph was doing an honorable thing. He wasn't going to put her on blast, right? He was just like, okay, let me, let's put this away in this, you know, little secretly or whatever. You know, you go your way, I go my way, and everything will be cool. But pick it up in verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call him, call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. All right, key verse. And God and Joseph woke from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife. But uh, verse 25, but but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called called his name Jesus. So key points, what did Joseph do? It said he did. The angel came and the first thing he, and the angel told him what to do, and so he did, he followed the command. So what's, what's a response to the unexpected when God tells him to do something? You obey. Joseph obeyed. It was crazy. It was out of the ordinary. It was unexpected. It was a surprise. Probably was a disappointment. But guess what? He obeyed. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Let's look at more of Joseph. Uh, let's go over to chapter 2, verse 13. So this is after Jesus has been born. So it says, now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Again, this is the second time the angel appears to Joseph and God is speaking to him in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod for to fulfill this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. And so here we go. There's another surprise. He's sleeping and in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, angel comes again, shows up and says, hey, get up and go. And what did Joseph do? He, he, he went and he didn't just say, oh, okay, we'll set the alarm at six o'clock. We'll pack, go. No, he woke up, Mary said, let's go. We got to go now. In the middle of the night, immediately, immediately, quick obedience, immediate obedience. How do you respond to unexpected? You obey. Quick obedience. Amen. Let's keep going. There's more. There's more of Joseph. Uh, let's pick it up in verse. Um, that was uh, verse 19, uh, still in chapter two, verse 19. But Herod died. Behold. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. This is the third time the angel appears to Joseph in a dream. Um, and while they were in Egypt, and he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for those who sought this child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And again, this is just showing how unexpected things are happening and how we have to follow the Holy Spirit. One time he says, okay, go to Egypt. And he's like, all right, we're going to hang out in Egypt. We're going to chill here. And now he's like, no, go back to, go back to Israel. And so again, the unexpected things and how the Holy Spirit can move. We have to be sensitive to his voice because there's going to be one way this day or another day, another time, another day. Right. And it's going to be, it's always going to align with the word of God. He's not going to tell you anything contrary to that, but you have to be sensitive because, because to follow the steps, the, the steps and make sure to follow the steps that God has ordered for you. Right. Amen. All right, let's keep going. Pick it up in uh, 22, verse 22. But when he heard that, um, so he's going back <clears throat> to Jerusalem and uh, Israel, and he says, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, this is the fourth time he's being warned by God in a dream, he left the regions of Galilee, left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So we look at these four times. These four times God comes to appear, uh, appears to God, in the four, um, appears to, I'm sorry, speaks to Joseph through an angel four different times, four different ways. I mean, not four different ways, but four different times that are unexpected, whether it's in the middle of the night, whether he's somewhere else. 
And what, how did Joseph respond to this? He obeyed. So when the unexpected comes, and we, expect the, we need to expect the unexpected, when the unexpected comes, the response is obedience. Because we never know what's on the other side of our obedience. But usually it's the glorify God. And the interesting thing here, um, another powerful thing about it, if you look at each of those four times that I read it, it the, the verse following up said, and this was to fill the, pro- the prophecy. And this was to fulfill the prophecy. And this was to fulfill the prophecy. So literally, Joseph's obedience was fulfilling ancient prophecy. His obedience was paving the way for the Messiah. Think about that. How powerful. That's a huge responsibility. But God knew he could trust Joseph, right? But that's a huge responsibility to know that just by obeying, he was literally fulfilling prophecy. And his name is written forever, right? Attached that to the one who was helping fulfill in prophecy, and particularly, and 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 to the men in here, um, you know, as and he spoke to Joseph because Joseph was the head of the household. Joseph was the man. Joseph was the head of the household. He was the head of his family. And so, men, it, it, this is an example of how it's imperative. It's imperative for us to listen to the Spirit of God for our families to lead our families. Amen. Because it has an effect for generations to come. Yeah. It has an impact on generations to come. It affects our lineage. Yeah. I'm here today, standing up here today, because of obedience of my father faithfully making the family go to church every Sunday, even though I didn't want to, and faithfully praying him and his mother, him and my mother praying faithfully, right? And then that has an impact not on me, but not only on me, but also on my family and my daughter and generations to come. So, for, for, so it's imperative. It's imperative for us, for us to hear the voice of God and directionally for our families and guiding them. Amen? And the other thing is, and particularly an example, um, in this example with Joseph, you know, a lot of times, um, obedience isn't hard. And when I say obedience was, isn't hard, if we look at this, God wasn't asking Joseph to do anything crazy. Like he wasn't saying, oh, Herod's trying to kill this, your, your, your child, so uh, go, go and kill him. And Joseph's got to think, all right, how am I going to get past the palace guards? How I get in there? How am I going to do? No, 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 no. It wasn't a hard thing. He just said, leave. Just go. You know what I'm saying? That's not a hard thing to do. It may be inconvenient. It may be uncomfortable, but it wasn't hard. And so many of the things that God is calling us to do, a lot of times, it's not really hard. It's not really difficult. It's just uncomfortable. It's just inconvenient. And many times, here's the thing, here's the thing. Why it is, is because we don't want to give up control of our lives. Oh man, y'all didn't like to hear that, right? I didn't like to hear that. We don't want to give up control of our lives. We have this vision of how this should be. And if it doesn't fit in, it, it gets uncomfortable. But God many times isn't asking us to do things that are hard. It's just uncomfortable, maybe inconvenient, and we just have to surrender control. And so if we look at, um, well, let me, let me go here. And this is, this is really the core. If you're taking notes, this is a, if you don't hear anything else I say, <laughs> listen to this and, and take notes. Obedience, and this is a definite, not, I guess, definition or steps of obedience. Obedience is hearing, receiving, and doing. Obedience is hearing, receiving, and doing. I got a shout out, Carlene Scalamandri, who was my Bible teacher like almost 20 years ago. She, she taught a class on obedience, and I'll never forget this. Obedience is hearing, receiving, and doing. You have to hear it, then you have to receive it in your heart, and then that's how you can go and do it. Even if it's inconvenient, even if it's uncomfortable. And so 
if we look back, going back into this Christmas story in that time, the, 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 the Israelites, they had a certain vision of what they thought the Messiah was going to be and how he was going to come. And so it was this box that they had fit into. And so anything that was unexpected, anything that did not fit into this box, they threw out and they rejected. So they heard about Jesus. They heard about this thing, but I said, oh, wait a second. This doesn't fit this box we are in. So we don't receive that. They couldn't receive the Savior. And so when the unexpected comes in our lives, will we receive it? If, will we receive it if it doesn't fit into the vision that we have or how we, the thought, the path we should take? Many times we're trying to fit God into our lives instead of, instead of walk his vision, his plan for our lives. Hmm. Expect the unexpected. You have to be uncomfortable. You have to surrender your will. We have to uh, um, give up control, surrendering to the will of God in order for him to do a new thing. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, let's go look at Mary. Let's see how Mary responded. Go over to Luke. And like I said, Matthew focused on, Matthew kind of focused more so on Joseph and Luke focuses on Mary. So we're going to go to Luke 1 verse 26. And we'll read through verse 29. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, so uh, Luke 1, 26. <clears throat> now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city um, in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favorite one, the Lord is with you. But she was, she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what the salutation, what kind of salutation this was. Okay, so Mary hears the angel comes visiting and, and speaks this word, and she's perplexed, right? And some, some um, translations say um, trouble, right? So she's a little bit confused. <clears throat> and so it says she pondered. And so what does it mean to, to ponder? It means she was considering this, thinking on these things. And so sometimes when we get something unexpected, whether we're reading through scripture and it's something that we don't necessarily understand, or maybe um, a prophet or someone comes and speaks a word over us, and, and we don't understand it. Oh, an, another way, another way that we respond to the unexpected is you have to you have to ponder it, you have to consider it, you have to meditate on it, you have to wrestle with it. Because sometimes it's okay. This isn't clear. I'm not understanding this. This is different. So we 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 have to we have to take time to ponder and wrestle with it. Turn with me real quick. Hold your place there in Luke, but turn with me to Acts uh, 17. And this is going to be another example of how you respond to something unexpected. So Acts, <clears throat> Acts 17, verse 10. So it says, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. So we're in a part where Paul and, and, and Silas is on, on their missionary journeys to go and preaching the gospel. Obviously, everywhere they went, they faced persecution, so they had to flee. Uh, so they left uh, the place they were at in Thessalonica and, and were sent over to Berea. Pick it up in verse 11. Now, these, meaning the, the Bereans, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether the things were so. So this, they, they were preached the gospel. This was a new message, something they understand, right? So they heard it. They received it, right? Remember, obedience is hearing, receiving, doing. So they heard it and received it, but they still had to wrestle with it. 
because they had to ponder it. So they searched the scriptures daily to see, okay, is this true? Let's connect. Let's look at the prophecies and see. But they did receive that word, but they still had to wrestle with it. So sometimes when something unexpected happens, we have to wrestle with the word. We receive it, but you still have to consider it. You still have to meditate on it. You still have to wrestle with it sometimes. And you know, the Bible even, even tells us if you, if you're a prophet, you receive a prophecy, you got to test the prophecy, right? It might be something unexpected. You have to test it. So that's what Mary was doing here. So let's go back, pick it up in Luke. Luke, um, uh, let's go down. So that was uh, Luke. Let's pick it up in Luke 30. Pick it up where, where we left off. Luke 1, excuse me, not 30, Luke 1, 30. So the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the God will and God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can I how can this be since I am a virgin? So now Mary is asking questions. Right. So she, she's kind of pondering this thing, wrestling with it. And now she's asking questions and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Because there's a difference. There's a difference between questioning God and asking him questions. Right. Mm. There's a difference between questioning God and asking him questions. Yeah. Yeah. See, we, 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 we can't question God because when you question God, that comes from a place of pride yeah. and arrogance. Because when the, um, when the Pharisees, when Jesus came to the Pharisees were talking, they would say, by what authority do you do this? They were questioning him because they were prideful. They thought they were the authority. They're like, what authority do you say this? How can you do these things? You don't have the authority. They were questioning him. But Mary came from a place of humility and she was asking questions because she was humble. And we see that throughout scripture. The Bible says that Moses was the most humble man that ever walked the earth. And then when God told him to go declare, you know, declare to Pharaoh, let my people go. He said, well, God, how am I going to do that? Because you know, I stutter. He was humble. He was asking God questions. He wasn't doubting. He wasn't, he wasn't being disobedient. He was just asking questions. We look at Abraham. Abraham was considered a friend of God. And so when God was going to say, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, well, God, if there's like 50 people, would you still destroy that are righteous? You know, he's asking questions. And then we can do that. God's not intimidated by your questions. Right. He's not like, ooh, that's a hard one. Um, no. He, he, he'll, he'll answer your questions. Okay, that's part of the process. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's uh, pick it up. Let's keep going in verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you for the reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has also conceived the Son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slate of, your, of the Lord may be done unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So you even see that process is that she heard, she wrestled with it, she received it, but she was wrestling with it. And now she's doing it. Now she, re, she received it in the sense of let it be done, to, done unto me. Praise God. Amen. Yes. Let's go to, let's, let's go over to, um, uh, we're still in Luke. Go over to Luke 2 and um, verse Seven, And so this is, this is um, I mentioned the shepherds earlier, so this is the account of the shepherds. And, and I want to look at another thing that, uh, that Mary did in another way to respond to um, when the unexpected comes and when we surprised and, and how to make way for God to do a new thing. So this is the account of the shepherds, what happened with the shepherds. And so she gave birth, Mary gave birth, I'm sorry, verse seven. Chapter two, verse seven, gave birth to her firstborn son and he, she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room 
for them in the end. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring good news and great joy uh, will be for the people for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. The baby will be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from the, from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in the manger. And when they had seen, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. So they just said, told Mary and Joseph, everything that happened, all these angels and everything and all that crazy stuff. Right. And, in, and all who heard it wondered the things which were told by, uh, told them by the shepherds, but Mary Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Again, she's treasuring these things and pondering. So what happens is when you, you receive um, something unexpected, a lot of times you put that thing in your heart, you treasure, you hide that word in your heart. That's what Mary did. She pondered it and she also treasured it. She hid, she already knew, the angel had already told her like, hey, right. you're going to give birth to this Holy Spirit. But but this was further confirmation and, and, and it was still like, oh, wow, this is something different. Wow, this is this is bigger than I thought. And so she treasured those things in, in her heart. And the reason we need to do that, especially when the unexpected comes, is because on our journey and as we're walking out uh, uh, the word of God, as we're walking out the promises of God, there's going to be, there, there's going to be trials. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And many times we might feel like we're not hearing from God, things aren't clear. But if we have that word treasured in our hearts, that will encourage us to keep going. I know this is unexpected. I know this is this is not what I, what I thought was going to happen, but I have this word hidden in my heart that God spoke to me so I could keep walking. I could keep persevering. Amen. Amen. You need that word, especially in your heart, especially for difficult seasons. Amen. And the other thing is, as, as, um, as we talk about unexpected things and hearing from God, we also look at Mary and Joseph. It's interesting that they heard God in different ways. Mary didn't have a dream. The angel just showed up. But for, for Joseph, he had dreams. He had multiple dreams and the angel appeared in dreams. So the other thing is, uh, uh, don't look at somebody else and how they're hearing from God. And like, oh, this person's getting dreams. If you, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you're not hearing from God just because you're not getting dreams. God speaks to us in different ways. He speaks primarily through his word. And that's maybe that's what we all have. That's common. But the Holy Spirit comes to us and speaks to us in different ways and unexpected ways for different people. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. All right. So I just want to break down. Like I said, one of the key things that as we expect the unexpected and we think about in the Christmas season, what they experience and how what we experience lives and how we experience the unexpected. The key response is obedience. And again, obedience is hearing, receiving and doing. And just to wrap it up, to come to a conclusion, I want to kind of break that down, just give some practical uh, 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 tips and a guidance on how we do that, how we face the unexpected, how we respond to it by hearing, receiving, and doing. So in order for us to hear, in order for us to hear, we have to be listening and we have to be seeking him. We have to be in a position where we're seeking him and listening to him. We look back at the scriptures when the, the Magi came to Herod and said, hey, King of the Jews is born, the Messiah is here. The scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't know because they weren't seeking him. They weren't made aware because they weren't seeking him. They knew the scripture. Oh, they knew the scripture. As soon as Aaron said, oh, oh yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew it. They knew it off the top of their head. 
but they still didn't recognize him when they come because they weren't seeking him. They weren't looking for him. They weren't listening. So we have to make sure we're in a position to listen. The Magi, even though they were Gentiles, they were seeking him, right? Right? Look at um, the fishermen, right? They weren't scholars. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't chief priests. And they weren't in, 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 on the Sanhedrin and all those things. But when Jesus came to them and said, hey, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, they dropped in that to follow. They recognized him when he came because their hearts were open and they were seeking him. So in order for us to hear, in order for us to hear, we have to be in a place where we're seeking in him. Before we can even receive, we have to hear. We have to be a place where we can hear his voice. Amen? Cut away distractions. And that's the only way he could do a new thing in us if we're seeking him and hearing him. Amen? Amen. Receive. Receive. How do we receive? Well, first thing is we have to, that we have to be open. We have to hear. And once you hear, you have to receive it in your heart. So one, that's, that's as Mary did. She, she, she pondered. She pondered the word. She meditate. So what God speaks to us and, and even just uh, what we're seeing in the word, meditating on the word, not just reading it through, but meditating, taking time, pouring over it, praying over that, praying over the word. Amen. And sometimes it's wrestling with God, like the brains. They got a word. They had to check it out, investigate it, doing some studying. So that's another way we receive. But ultimately, it's surrendering. It's just simply receiving is surrendering. It's surrendering to his will, surrendering control of our lives, surrendering saying that, you know what? Okay, this is going to be a little uncomfortable. All right? It might be uncomfortable. It might be inconvenient, but I'm surrendering. Lord, not, 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 your, not my will, but yours be done. And we have to embrace discomfort. And then finally, I'm going to go to, this is going to be the last scriptures that I look at, Luke 4. We have to do, hear, receive, and do. And the great thing is that God doesn't leave us on our own. We don't have to do, we don't have to follow through in our own strength. Let's go to Luke 4, verse 17. And now Jesus is all grown up and he's about to begin his public ministry. And it says, and the book, he's, he's, in the, he's in the temple, and it says, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. The book of the prophet was Isaiah was handed to him. So those scriptures I read earlier, those scriptures that for 400 years from Isaiah that they were holding on to, they hand that book to Jesus as he begins his public ministry. And he reads the same things that they've been waiting on. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Everything for 400 years they were believing, God said, it starts today. I am the fulfillment of that. Amen. 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 The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. What they were waiting for. Now let's go stay in Luke. Let's go to verse, uh, let's go to chapter 24 in Luke. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, right? Luke 24, 49. And now Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. He's returned and giving uh, his, um, given the great commission, his final instructions to the uh to to his disciples and he says behold i am sending forth the promise of the of my father what's the promise the promise of the holy spirit upon you 
but you stay in the city until you have clothed on power from on high. So then we know that that was the day of Pentecost. So now we see back in earlier in, 20, in, in excuse me, in, in Luke, the spirit of God was upon Jesus to do those things. Now that spirit, that same spirit is upon us. Yeah. The same spirit is upon us. So what empowered Jesus to do the works that he did to set the captives free, to proclaim liberty, the gospel, to, to, to heal the sick, to bring sight to the blind, that same spirit, that same power is upon us. So so when we when we uh, hear the word of God, when we receive the word of God, it releases the spirit to God to work in us and through us to yeah. do to fulfill it. It's yeah. not something we do in our own strength. Yeah. It's not something we do by our own willpower. We surrender to the spirit of God. He works through us and we can do whatever it is, whether it's the unexpected thing, whether it's the surprising thing, whether it's the thing that we don't want to do or we, we it was hard to receive by the power of the spirit. He empowers us to do it. Amen. 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 So I just want to encourage you guys um, today as we as we close out this year and we look forward to 2024. What's on the other side of your obedience? What's on the other side? What is on the other side of your obedience for? What do we have to do in 2023 that he told us to do? And what in 2024 will he do through us as we obey him? Even if it's unexpected, even if it's a surprise, God is doing a new thing. I'm excited for 2024. Are you? He's doing a new thing. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for this word, God. I thank you, Lord, that the word fell on good ground. All those here, all those listening, Father God, on, online, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we are not just hearers of the word, but we are doers as well, God. I thank you that you remind us, Lord, that in obedience we hear, we receive, and that we do, God. And even when things that come that are unexpected, we hear things that are unexpected, Father God. We are your people. We are your people who hear, Father God, who follow the Spirit, and, and, and we can expect the unexpected because we know that's how you operate, Lord. And we're, we, 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 um, our hearts are not hardened, Lord, but they're malleable, Father God, to move how you want to move, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you as we finish out this year. We know in Ecclesiastes, your word says, better is the end of something than the beginning thereof. So we believe that the end of this year is going to be a strong finish to this year, Father God, and just bring momentum into what you're going to do through us, Father God, individually and our families and as our church, Father God, going into 2024, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And with your eyes closed and heads bowed, uh, if, if you're here today and you have never accepted and made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. So if there's anybody here, um, whether you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life or you need to rededicate your life, you have the opportunity now. Um, you, I can just, if you just acknowledge that by raising your hand, if there's anybody here. Amen. So that we want to, everybody here is saved, praise God. So we just want to give the opportunity to anybody who might be listening online, believing that uh, this word goes forth and we encourage somebody, especially during this Christmas season. So let's help them into the kingdom of God by saying this prayer. If you guys could repeat after me, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for coming to earth, Lord, to save sinners. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord. And be, and be my savior. I believe that you, believe that you were, raised dead, were raised from the dead, Lord. And you said at the right hand of the Father. And, the right the and now I confess you, Lord, confess as you, Lord of my life. Lord of my life. And that I will never be the same. Be the same. Again. Again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So if anybody online, you said that prayer, welcome to the family of God. 
Um, you can reach out to us, um, get in contact with us. Somebody will, will be here to support you and pray for you. Um, and just be blessed. Have a blessed Christmas season. Everybody, thank you. I think Brother Frank is going to close us out. God bless you guys. Have a blessed day. Blessed week. That concludes this week's message. And thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 1854, Perth Amboy, New Jersey 08862. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email. The address is partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to his word. Until next time, God bless you.